Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us for worship. Uh, if you have not met, if we have not met, my name is Dave. I'm one of our pastors, and it is a joy uh, to be with you on Palm Sunday. Uh, next Sunday is Easter, of course. We're going to be celebrating the resurrection of our Lord. Um, we have six services next weekend. We're going to do two on Saturday evening. Never done that before. Um, and then we're going to do our four, normal four, at the normal four time slots on Sunday. And I just wanted to kind of, you know, throw this out there as you're thinking about your weekend plans. You know, Easter happens to be a time where a lot of people that don't normally go to church show up at church, right? A lot of people that might never step foot inside a church any other time of the year, um, they, will, they will show up at Easter, which is why most churches, a lot of churches, are really full at Easter. And so we want to make sure we have room for guests, for those that, again, are, are uh, uh, you know, they don't normally show up. We always talk about wanting people to feel loved, welcomed, and wanted. One of the ways you could help us with that, as you think about your weekend plans, um, a lot of guests that will come, the middle hours on Sunday morning um, will fill up the fastest. Uh, that's just kind of the normal. I understand it's the most convenient times for a lot of people. So as you're thinking about your weekend plans, um, in order to help free up some space, you could help us out by considering attending maybe one of the Saturday evening, earlier Sunday, later Sunday. We're just trying to make sure our middle services in particular on Sunday have room for, for guests. We really don't want to have to turn anyone away. And so uh, think about that as you're planning your weekend. Um, six services here at the Vista. would love to see you at one of those. You can RSVP for those and let us know, let us know that you're coming. All right. Um, we are uh, going to be in Luke chapter 19. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We'll, uh, of course, put the text up on the screen here in a moment. Luke chapter 19. We have been, since January, walking through the Gospel of Luke in our series entitled Jesus According to Luke. Um, it's a really long uh, kind of walkthrough. We've actually had to skip over several parts or we would be in Luke for years. So we've kind of tried to hit the highlights, if you will. Um, and I'll do a, a little bit in the way of recap. Um, you know, Luke gives us probably the best uh, birth narrative of Jesus. You know, when, when it's Christmas time, Luke is the go-to text, right? Luke does the most comprehensive, thorough look at the birth of Jesus out of all the Gospels. And so we saw that Jesus um, was born not in a palace like a king would be born, but rather he was born in a very humble way. He was uh, born in, in probably a barn or a stable of some sort. He was laid in a manger. Very, very humble. He was born to an unwed teenage woman named Mary. And then his earthly father, a, a man that um, chose not to leave Mary when, when he found out she was pregnant and conceived by the Holy Spirit, he decided to stay. He was a hardworking blue-collar carpenter named Joseph. Jesus had a very humble beginning. Um, he, you know, he wasn't very wealthy. Most would say, when you look at his life, you would consider him rather poor, actually. He never owned a home. He never owned a business of any kind. He never married a wife. He never had any children. He never traveled very far from his hometown in any direction. He never wrote a book. He never wrote anything, as far as we know, other than the time he knelt down on the ground and doodled a little something in the dirt in front of the Pharisees, right? And yet, Jesus is the single most significant and important person that has ever walked the face of the planet. His life and his death literally changed all of human history forever. And one thing the Gospels make really clear about Jesus is that he had a very clear mission and a very clear purpose for which he came. And despite efforts from some to try to get him off of that mission and off of that purpose, 
The Bible's very clear that everything was ultimately leading to Jerusalem and to him going to the cross where he would give up his life on a cross for our sin. He would become a sacrifice, an atoning sacrifice for the sin of all mankind. And again, there were, there were different elements and factions trying to get him to be more political, be a kind of a political ruler and leader. There were some that wanted him to be a military ruler, a military leader. Jesus didn't take the bait. He wouldn't get off on what he was supposed to do. So he came to earth for a very specific reason. And ultimately, it was all leading to Jerusalem. So that, uh, as we broke up the Gospel of Luke, the first section was called Beginnings. We talked about just the beginning of his ministry and the beginning uh, of what we know about his life. We honestly don't know much about his life prior to age 30. At age 30 is when he began his public ministry at his baptism. And then he called some guys to be his disciples. And almost everything we have recorded about Jesus is actually from the last three years of his life. And then we got into the middle section. The middle section we, we called on the road again because really from about Luke chapter 9, it says he set his face toward Jerusalem. And it was a rather long journey with a lot of things that happened and a lot of conversations. But that, is, that has been where everything's been leading. Everything's been leading to Jerusalem. And so finally today, we're going to look at what's called the triumphal entry. Jesus finally arrives at his destination, and we're calling this last section the end of the line, because everything we have left is about the last week of the life of Jesus, and then a few episodes after his resurrection. You might have noticed the, the tune change as I walked out, right? So long to Willie Nelson, bringing in a different, a different tune, right? Last section of the Gospel of Luke. And so, so Jesus finally arrives in Jerusalem, his destination. Let me set this up as well, because I need to explain what's going on in the city of Jerusalem when Jesus arrives. There's a big holiday happening, a big festival, a celebration that they, they practiced every year for the Jewish people called Passover. Passover was a holiday where they were remembering something God had done for them a long time ago, when God had freed them from their bondage and their captivity in the land of Egypt. Here's how God did that. God sent a series of plagues or judgments on um, the Egyptians. And each one was kind of progressively worse and worse and worse. Finally, it culminated in the, the last plague or the last judgment, which was the death. A death would come to the household, death of the firstborn. And God instructed his people um, how they could be spared from death. And so he instructed them to sacrifice a lamb, to sacrifice a lamb and then put the blood from that lamb on the doorpost of their homes. That lamb was going to be, again, sacrificial. It was going to be used in a substitutionary way in their place. So instead of their death, it would be the death of the lamb. And so when the angel of death would, would come by the home, if it had the blood from the lamb on the doorpost of the home, it would pass over that home and the inhabitants would be, would be spared. If it came to the home and there was no blood from the lamb on the doorpost, uh, again, death would come to that particular household. So follow me on this. Every year then, the Jewish people would celebrate this holiday called Passover where God had saved them by the blood of a sacrificial substitutionary lamb. John the Baptist looked at Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The irony here, the foreshadowing is really rich and thick. That what gets Jesus ultimately to Jerusalem was the celebration called Passover, 
where they were remembering God's goodness by sparing them, rescuing them, redeeming them because of the blood of a lamb. And Jesus got to Jerusalem where he would ultimately become the Passover lamb, the sacrificial lamb, the substitutionary lamb that would atone for the sin of the whole world. Do you, do you see what's going on here? It's this very celebration, these very circumstances that get Jesus to Jerusalem where he will be the lamb of God sacrificed for the sins of all mankind. So the king of kings, lord of lords, most important person that's ever walked the face of the earth is going to arrive in Jerusalem. How is he going to arrive? Maybe on a white horse, right? Maybe in a chariot. That'd be pretty big, chariot. Maybe, maybe his followers could carry him around like they did kings and princes. Maybe he could arrive like the pope. You ever seen the pope ride through a town? He's in like a little pope mobile. Maybe Jesus could have a little Jesus mobile. I don't know. Like it would be awesome. No. How is Jesus going to make his grand entry? Well, we read about it in Luke 19, beginning in verse 28. It says, And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, those are two sort of outlying, outlying uh, towns, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied. The other gospels make sure... Um, and note that it was the colt of a donkey. So not, not, not a horse, but a donkey. On which no one has ever set. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. I don't recommend trying this, you know, if you need something for ministry or God's work. Hey, why are you taking my truck? Hey, you know, God needs it. We got some stuff to do. Oh, okay, no problem. Like, it may not go over so well, right? Apparently, they didn't ask any other questions. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. Okay? So how is Jesus going to make his entrance? Well, he ends up rolling into town on a lowly donkey. A donkey is not a glamorous animal, by the way. Kings and really important people would not ride on the backs of donkeys. And again, this shows a couple of things. Um, one, it just shows that Jesus is a different kind of king. He didn't come to be some dictatorial, heavy-handed ruler. Jesus taught humility. He walked in humility. He taught service. Jesus told his followers, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you've got to learn to be the least of these. Jesus knelt down and washed the dirty, stinky, nasty feet of his disciples. Paul would later write, although he was God, he didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead he humbled himself and became obedient as a servant, even uh, obedient unto death. Jesus was a different kind of king who walked in an unbelievable amount of humility for the most important person that's ever lived, right? There's another thing taking place here when he chooses a donkey. Several hundred years before Christ was born, the prophet Zechariah told the people of Israel what they should expect, what they should look for with their king. We'll flip over and look at it in Zechariah, a little bitty small Old Testament book. Towards the end of the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. The prophet writes, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. 
Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Several hundred years before Jesus ever stepped on the earth, the prophet Zechariah said, this is how the king will arrive. And so Jesus, in choosing a donkey, is also fulfilling prophecy that was written about him hundreds of years before he was even born. So Jesus rides in on a donkey. We'll read the rest, verse 37, back to Luke. It says, As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples. And so here it's not just talking about the twelve. Uh, disciples would have been anyone that, cons- that, that was out trying to follow Jesus, tagging along with Jesus. Uh, this is, this is the, a, a lot of people in the crowd. It says, They began to rejoice and praise God with loud voice for all the mighty works that they, that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The other Gospels use a, the translation Hosanna. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're quoting from Psalm 118, verse 26. A psalm, a, a messianic psalm of praise. Well, this angers the religious leaders, as you can imagine. Verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They're not supposed to be saying that stuff. They're not supposed to be calling you king. They're not, not supposed to be shouting Hosanna. They're not supposed to be quoting the Psalms. Stop them. You need to stop them. That's blasphemy. Jesus answers, verse 40, And I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So there's the, what we know as the triumphal entry. Again, the other Gospels talk about the people waving palm branches, right? It was a sign of honor and praise. They're celebrating Jesus as he should be celebrated. And they're literally worshiping Jesus as the King and as the Lord. It, it's a really joyous atmosphere. The, the tone is, is, is joyful and celebratory. It's great. Everything's great. So here's the question. How in the world do we go from this to literally days later, the same crowd shouting, crucify him, crucify him. The crowd can be a little fickle, right? Crowds can be easily swayed. We've seen that, man, in our own country over and over and over again politically, right? On both sides, crowds can be, crowds can be a little bit fickle. This crowd's no different. We love you, Jesus. Hosanna. Crucify him, crucify him. How do we get, I grew up in the church and I never really understood that. I never understood, like, how do we go from Palm Sunday to a really horrible death on Friday? Like, I don't, I don't get that. Well, we'll read a little bit further. The tone begins to change. The tone begins to change. Starting with the next day, Jesus is very sad. He's not celebratory. He's, he's very sad. Luke inserts this paragraph in here. Some of the other gospels um, have the triumphal entry immediately followed by Jesus going to the temple and, and cleansing the temple. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But Luke inserts this little paragraph about Jesus' sadness and his weeping over the city of Jerusalem. And I was going to just skip over this and jump right down to the cleansing of the temple, but I just think there's maybe a, a lesson in this for, for us that I wanted to point out really quick. So here's what it says, verse 41. This is most likely the next day. And when he drew near and he saw the city, he wept over it saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side, 
will tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. They will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. The story before this is one of a lot of celebration and joy. And then all of a sudden we see Jesus, who's very sad, he's weeping over the city because Jesus loves the people and he's, he's got compassion on the people. And I think the message or the lesson for us is, you know, that when's the last time that our hearts were really broken over the, the lostness and the people around us? You know, we've said this before, but I don't know what circumstances or events in your life led you to Temple, Texas in the year, you know, 2021. I don't, I don't know what got you here. Maybe uh, what led you to Belton or Salado or Troy or wherever it is that, that you, you call home. You know, the Bible talks about how God has fashioned and, and ordained our lives and our times. And so what I can tell you is even if you feel like you're just here for a brief season, God has you where you are for a purpose and for a reason. God has you in the area, in the place, in the circles of influence for a purpose and for a reason. And this just kind of struck me as I read this this week that, man, Jesus in the midst of a really important mission and he knows what's coming, he takes time and he's just, man, he's just weeping for the city. He cares about the people, he cares about the city. And I just think that's a lesson for us as the church that we want to we wanna love our city well. We want to love the people that God places around us well. Our hearts ought to break for the lostness of the people around us. Jesus' heart was broken for the people. And again, history shows us that Jesus was right. In 70 AD, the city was surrounded. Ultimately, the city, the temple, was all completely destroyed, just as Jesus said that it would be. But I think the lesson for us as the church is, man, for the time God has us here and the place God has us, that we want to we love our city well and, and pray for the people of our city and our hearts break for the lostness of our city. Well, then we see in the next couple verses the tone uh, change again. It goes from joyous to sadness to then anger. We see Jesus get really, really angry. And I really think that when you think, when we, when we consider, how did it go from Hosanna, blessed are you, to crucify him, I think it's the events that happen in the next couple verses that really set the wheels in motion for the crowd to be changed, to be swayed. Luke's gospel in, is the most brief in this account. Um, the other Gospels give a little bit more explanation here, but here's what happens. I'll just read these verses and we'll unpack them just for a second and we'll be done. It says, Then Jesus entered the temple and he began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. So here's the thing. Jesus was at the height of his public popularity. I mean... Word had spread uh, that he had even raised a man from the dead. Remember the story, right? Jesus literally raises Lazarus, who had been dead for days. The Bible says he comes out all wrapped up like a mummy. I mean, people were around watching this. So word had spread. This man, you know, not only does he feed people with a small little lunch and walk on water and he heals diseases and sicknesses, now he's raising dead people that had been dead for days. So people are flocking to Jesus. And I got to imagine that in this moment, as he's rolling into Jerusalem, man, all the praise that's being heaped upon Jesus, maybe in his humanity, there had to be at least a little bit of temptation to go, man, he could have ridden right into town and preached a sermon. Everyone was hanging on his every word. He could have healed people in, in public, gaining even more followers and 
And he could have done anything he wanted and really grown his ministry and gotten a lot more followers. And there might have been this sort of temptation in his humanity to do that. But I mentioned that Jesus had a clear mission and a purpose for which he came. So instead of doing all of that when he could have, he goes to the temple and gets really mad and angry. And the other gospels, again, are a little bit more uh, explicit that, that he's so mad he's turning tables over and he's throwing people out saying, get out of here. He's really, really upset. He's really, really angry. And this is going to make the people angry, the religious leaders really angry, and put the wheels in motion that are going to lead to the cross. Why was he so mad? Why was Jesus so angry at the temple? I've talked about this before. I've preached on it before. Some people want to sort of take these verses and and say, well, it just shows the church shouldn't really talk about money or offerings or raising money for things. Jesus was mad because of the money issue, the money situation. That's not what he was upset about. I mentioned that people are in town for Passover. And I would remind you that before the death of Jesus, the temple was where the Spirit of God dwelt on earth. That's where people would go to meet with God. It's where people would go to pray, confess their sin, deal with their sin, make sacrifices. That's where they would go. That's the only place they could go to meet with the Lord and deal with their sin was the temple. So Jesus rolls up to the temple, and instead of, you know, prayers taking place and sacrifices taking place and people, you know, worshiping, it's been turned into like a a circus, man. There are farm animals running around everywhere. People are buying and selling. They're, They're exchanging money at a high rate. They're ripping people off. They're basically using the name of God and religion to rip people off and make more money. So Jesus is really, really upset. This is not what... The temple, this is not what the church should be about, using the name of God to rip people off in the name of religion. It goes even deeper than that. I would remind you the temple was divided into numerous sections. So the, the one section, the, the innermost section was called the Holy of Holies, right? Only the priest could go into the Holy of Holies. Nobody else was allowed in there. Only the high priest could go in there to meet with God and, and, and uh, deal with people's sin. Right outside of that was called the court of men. Jewish men could go into that court. Only Jewish men. Outside of that was the court of women. Only Jewish women could go into that section. And then the the farthest section on the outside was called the court of Gentiles. The big area on the outside, the court of Gentiles. Gentiles would be the people we would consider the lost, the outsider, those that are far from God. Guess which area of the temple they turned into the market? court of Gentiles, right? The court of Gentiles. This angers Jesus. In fact, verse 10 of this same chapter in a story earlier reminds us that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. We've looked through Luke's gospel. This whole journey, we've said Luke, more than any of the other gospels, shows Jesus's particular love and affinity for the lost, the outsider, the hurting, and the broken. And Jesus loved the outsiders and the hurting and the lost. And now what's happening in the temple is the insiders have said, outsiders, get out. There's no place for you. It's about us. It's about us making more money. Do you see why Jesus is angry? Again, every time I read this, it just reminds me of who we are called to be as the church. From day one here at the Vista, we've tried really, really hard to make sure that we're not a church for insiders. In fact, if you're an insider and you're really big into religion, the way churches ought to, ought to 
run and the way pastors ought to be. Austin and I have kind of joked about this. We're, we're probably going to disappoint you if we haven't already. Like, just know that. <laughs> it's just, it's going to happen. We don't want to be a place that's like insiders feel super comfortable and outsiders don't feel welcome. We want to be a place where the lost and outsiders feel loved, welcomed, and wanted because we believe that's the way of Jesus. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. I think part of the reason Jesus got so upset is because he rolls up to the temple and all the insiders were concerned with money and they kicked all the outsiders out. There was nowhere for people to come meet with the Lord, nowhere for sacrifices or confession of sin or anything. So Jesus gets really angry and he overturns tables and he's running people out. And again, We've seen through the whole Gospel of Luke, man, the Pharisees are the antagonist of the story. This makes them really, really mad. They already didn't like Jesus. But now they've got this, this thing they can use to set the trap. Literally a few days from now, they'll get Judas to betray him. Judas will betray Jesus, and the wheels are set in motion. They will begin to turn the crowd against Jesus. He's a problem. I mean, he's a problem. He's causing problems in the city. He's causing an uproar. They'll get the crowd to turn on him. Crucify him. Crucify him. And ultimately, Jesus will go to the cross. And he'll fulfill his mission and purpose for coming. I just want to end by this. I'm excited for next weekend, man. We get to celebrate resurrection. Man, it's the event that our whole faith hinges on. And that's a joyful celebratory. We're going to celebrate the fact that our king is no longer in a grave, right? But listen, before we do, I want you to remember that Jesus, he's our Passover lamb. He is our substitutionary, sacrificial, once for all time lamb of God whose blood was spilled for us. Just as um, the, the, the people of God back then were covered by the blood of the lamb, hear me, church, our only way out of captivity and bondage to sin, our only way to freedom is by the blood of a lamb. And that lamb is Jesus. There is no other name given to men under heaven whereby we can be saved. And you can search in a lot of different places and try to find salvation in a lot of different places. We've talked about that. The blood of Jesus, the sacrifice at the cross is the only thing that'll set you free. So as we get ready for resurrection this week, man, let's focus on the cross. Let's focus on the sacrifice. Let's focus on Jesus being our Passover lamb this week. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful today that nothing got you off of your mission when you came to earth. We're grateful, Jesus, in hindsight, that you did not become some big political leader we're grateful that you did not become some strong military leader. We're grateful you didn't become some dictator. Jesus, we're grateful that you stuck to your mission and your purpose for coming. We're grateful today that you are our sacrificial lamb. That you went to a cross. That your blood was spilled in our place for our sin. That you are our atoning sacrifice. Father, as we get ready for resurrection next weekend, I pray that this week we would focus on the cross. We would focus on your great sacrifice for us. God, that our hearts would be right to celebrate resurrection next week. We've, that we'd be prayed up, confessed up, and just grateful, grateful for what you've done for us.
Lord, I pray for our church. I pray that we would be the church you want us to be. God, that we would be a church that loves sinners well, that welcomes outsiders. God, may we never become a place where it's all about our preferences and what we want. God, help us to be a place that loves our city, that loves those that are far from you, Jesus, because you came to seek and save the lost, and that is why we're here. We pray all these things this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.